Father, we're so grateful for all the good that you have done in our lives. Lord, in the past three years being here in Albuquerque to discover your will for my life, and Lord, how being a part of high school students and college-age students, uh, Lord, just being part has been so exciting, and I'm so thankful for that. And Lord, I thank you for every each student that is involved. Lord, every student that has come through the doors of one of our ministries, the thousands Lord, I've heard the gospel that are growing with you now. God, I pray you would just continue to do a radical work in student ministries here at Calvary. And Lord, that we could all be a part, whether it's participating in a service or just praying regularly. And God, we pray that you would do great things in 2008 through our lives. And Lord, now as we turn to your word, we ask that we would discover your will for our lives. Lord, it's our desire as disciples to follow hard. And Lord, we're constantly learning and growing. And so I pray tonight, Lord, you just speak to us, your people. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I had the incredible opportunity this past summer, 2007, to go to Jinja, Uganda, Africa. I was currently the high school pastor here, and I led a team of 16 students and five leaders, and we all head out to Uganda, and there we have several missionaries from our church, and God just did incredible things. We were able to, the students actually did skits. We went to over a dozen high schools and mid-schools. They did gospel skits. Myself or Nate, who at the time was the assistant in the high school ministry, we would preach the gospel. And, And I'm not kidding. We saw at times hundreds of children and young people commit their lives to the Lord. But one of my favorite parts, one of the highlights of the trip for me was going bungee jumping. We went bungee jumping in Uganda, Africa. We had heard prior to going out there, Nate and I, that this existed in Africa. And of course, within our first couple meetings with Jess, who's the senior pastor in Uganda, we began to question him about bungee jumping in Uganda. And we were just asking, is this true? Is this possible? I mean, is this the real deal? And Jess said, yes, I've done it twice. And this senior pastor, older guy, he had bungee jumped twice in this place. And we thought, is it safe? I mean, are you just jumping off with, you know, some twine around your ankles? How does this work? And he assured us it was legitimate. It was totally safe. These guys had been trained in New Zealand where bungee started and that the cord, he explained to us, it's just millions of rubber bands bound together and that they've been going for years and there's never been an incident. And so he assured us of the safety. By the end of the conversation, we had all agreed that we would go check this place out and possibly jump ourselves. Well, we got to go later that week. And as I stated, we did end up bungee jumping. You get to the place. It's absolutely beautiful. You pull in and it's just lush green everywhere. There's monkeys in the trees running around just wild. And there's this huge tiki hut. And it's a restaurant. And also behind the bar section is where you kind of register to do the bungee jumping. So we all paid our fees. We took off our shoes. And as you look out over this little restaurant, as you look out, you discover you're on a 150-foot cliff overlooking the Nile River. And there's actually a picture of it there. And in front of you, there's hundreds of yards of the Nile, just massive. And as you look down at the Nile to your left, there's raging rapids right there. And as you look up a little bit further, there's that tower protruding about 40 feet over the Nile River. And so we had taken off our sandals. We began the climb up to the top of this tower. And let me just tell you, I am scared out of my mind at this point, okay? Everything in me is saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You're risking your life. But 
I am the high school pastor and all of the students are there and I just, I have to do it, you know. It's just, just part of the role. And so I'm walking up totally calm and cool outside, freaking out inside. We all get to the top of this tower. We're now 150 feet above the Nile River. And we have to walk out on this structure, this metal structure. And all I'm thinking is that I'm in a pirate movie walking the plank to my death as you walk out there. And there's a yellow line that we're all told to stop. And we line up in order as we're going to jump. And at the end, you saw that there was a little cage there. So we're all lined up, myself, Nate, and a couple other leaders. And we're looking down at the students. Now you can see the hut from up above. There's 16 of them. Every single one has their digital camera out, camcorder. They're all cheering for us. I'm ready to cry. <laughs> I'm thinking, I can turn back. I just, I don't have to pull this off. I can just turn around. But of course, you have to do it. To my left, the first person to jump was Jess, who's the senior pastor. And we had, I had actually paid for him to go, partially out of the fact that we just were appreciative of him hosting the trip, but really, so he'd go first, so I didn't have to go first. And so he did, he went, he jumped, it made it look effortless. I'm up next. I walked to the edge of this structure, and at the end you saw that little cage, there's a wooden throne there that you're supposed to sit in. It's as if you're getting the royal treatment before you die type thing. So you sit in this wooden throne, and you have one guy to your right, and he, he's fixing things around your legs, towels, different kinds of ropes. The guy to your left is talking to you about the different kinds of knots and things, like I really care the different types of knots. But he's assuring me that everything's safe. They finish with my legs. I stand up, and now I have to shuffle okay, to the edge, the left edge, and there's nothing there. And you put your toes over the line. And he tells you to lift your hands to the top of this structure. And now there is nothing between you and a 150-foot drop into the Nile River. And so it's that moment where my life is flashing before me. And I'm thinking I have a beautiful wife, a beautiful six-month child back home. Nick, you can turn back. And he says, I'm going to count down from three. Two, one, and say bungee, and you jump. I thought, okay, I can do this. Three, two, one, bungee! (laughs) And I said, hey, can I put my hands down? He goes, whatever, right? And he says, all right, let's do it again. I'm really just scared. I'm buying time at this point. And, And I'm just praying, oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. And all I'm thinking is that that conversation I had with Jess, this is safe. It's secure. He had gone before me. He had done it three times. I can do this. And he tells me at the last moment, you just see that arrow out there. It's kind of up on a mountain. And he just says, look up at that arrow. And as you jump, just look out. He could tell I was really terrified. It really was an issue of the arms. And so finally he says, three, two, one, bungee. And I just think, arrow and just jump it was incredible i was dunked about three feet into the nile river i think we have a picture that you can see here there's my jump and there's another picture of my jump i know i look like superman in that one and there it is being dunked in the nile river no crocodiles around thank goodness now literally that was a leap of faith for me knowing people had gone before like jess the pastor Knowing that this was actually secure, that that bungee cord could indeed hold me, and knowing that these guys had been properly trained, I literally was willing to attach my life to this cord and place my hands into these people's hands, even at the risk of losing my own life. And tonight I want to talk to you about the life of faith. I want to talk to you about, as Christians, how in a very similar manner, knowing the surety of God's word, 
knowing that God's promises are firm, we too can place active faith and trust and belief in the things that God has for us. And at times, man, we take a plunge, knowing that God, we can trust him, that he has all things in control. I'd suggest that we as Christians ought to have active faith in God's absolute promises. And so tonight we're going to look at the life of Abraham. He has and had, Scripture records what I have termed for tonight's message, far out faith. What that simply means is he was a man of radical faith. He was a man that completely and absolutely said, God, I believe your word. I believe your promises. I trust you 100% and I'll go where you call me. I'll do what you call me to do. So radical was his faith. That scripture three times tells us God looked at him and because of faith, he was seen as righteous. It was because of Abraham's radical faith that three times scripture tells us that he was the friend of God. And so radical was his faith that it is recorded in the book of Galatians chapter 3. That any man or woman that comes to Christ by faith are the children of Abraham. That he, in fact, is the father of faith. That those that come to Christ and live this life as a disciple are following the example of Abraham. That we're following in his footsteps. That he was the forerunner that would go forward and show us what it looked like to live a life of faith. Faith is foundational to all that we are as Christians. It's where we began as repentant sinners. It's the day-to-day of saved disciples. And so tonight we're going to look at that life of faith. In fact, it was Spurgeon who said concerning the life of faith that we ought to regard it as the greatest imaginable importance, as indeed it is. He said a mistake upon this subject would be a mistake concerning life. If we fail at faith, Spurgeon said, we fail everywhere. And scripture would concur with that statement. You know, there's four times in the Bible, in the book of Habakkuk, the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, and Hebrews chapter 10, where scripture cries out and says, the just, you know the rest, shall live by faith. And Abraham, in the context of Hebrews chapter 10, the last time we see this scripture, the just shall live by faith. He is given the most prominent Amount of time in the chapter, chapter 11. Let's read it. It's chapter 10. Look at Paul in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, verse 38. We believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Chapter 10, verse 38. Paul declaring, encouraging a bunch of Christians. The letter was written to encourage Christians. He says, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And he's quoting back from Habakkuk in verse 39. He says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And you know, chapter 11, the author goes on and he gives many examples to these Christians of men and women who had gone before and lived the life of faith. And Abraham's given the most attention. Jump jump with me now to chapter 11. It's verse 8. Where we now are going to be able to see Abraham's life. And there's two things I want you to note tonight, if you're taking notes. It is simply that Abraham's faith, this active, radical, far-out faith, two things to note. First, that Abraham had faith to go. And secondly, that Abraham had faith 
to wait. And it's in verse 8 that we see that Abraham had faith to go. Read with me. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And so immediately we're told that this guy, Abraham, this fella, he was willing to go and to leave his country. Immediately, Scripture records that by faith, Abraham obeyed. That is active faith. He was willing to obey God and to go. And you'll recall the story in Genesis chapter 12 where Abraham comes onto the scene. When God first appears to him, you'll remember the three promises that God made to Abraham. And I'll read them to you found in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So it's a threefold promise. Abraham, I have a land waiting for you. Secondly, Abraham, I'm going to multiply your descendants. And we know that Abraham and Sarah couldn't have children. And finally, that through your life, all of the nations of the world would be blessed. It was God's unconditional covenant to Abraham. But you'll notice the first thought. God said, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. See, the promise was threefold. Abraham, I've got a land. I have descendants. I have blessing for the earth through you. You must then go and leave your family. He was called to leave his country, to leave the land, the group of people that were so familiar to him. He was called to leave, we know Acts chapter 7 tells us, he was called to leave the Ur of the Chaldees, about a 1,500-mile travel to the left, to west there. And Abraham made this journey. It's a foreign country. It's a foreign land. If you've ever traveled to a foreign country, you know what culture shock is. What we can only imagine is Abraham would go from the Ur of the Chaldees, 1,500 miles west. He would arrive in the land of Canaan and discover a culture shock. That world was very different from the world that Abraham had come from. And so he had to leave country, all that was familiar. It says that he had to leave family and father's house. He was told to leave all that he loved, all that he held dear. And if you've ever read the story of William Carey, the father of modern missions to India, similar story. William Carey was willing. He felt so called and obliged to go to India that his newly pregnant wife and children, he was willing to leave behind for the sake of the calling. Here's Abraham. Abraham, you got to go. Abraham, you've got to leave country. Leave that which is familiar. Leave your dad's house, those that you love so dearly. And as if that wasn't enough, look again at verse 8. We read just that final little verse, part of the verse. It says, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So not only does he leave, not is he leaving everything familiar, everything that he loves, but scripture says he doesn't know where he's going. There's no GPS unit to the promised land. He didn't have Google Maps or MapQuest, how to get to the promised land. He didn't have Sarah perhaps on the back, you know, with a map giving directions. I don't know if you guys have seen this OnStar system that cars are being installed with now. You actually call an operator from your car. They give you street by street directions, turn by turn. 
He didn't have any of that. There were no directions on how to get there. There was no preparation. He couldn't watch the Discovery Channel special on the promised land. He had no clue where he's going. He was called to leave. He was called to go. But the thought that he had no idea what lie ahead. And you compile all of that together. And yet scripture says in verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed and he went. He had active faith. He believed God's promise. He said, God, you're the rewarder of those that diligently seek you. And God, I know I can trust you. I'm convinced that you will take care and provide. And so for us tonight, it's the same response as a Christian. Whether it's your initial step of faith. Maybe you've come tonight and you've never given your life to Christ. You've never made the initial step of faith. Because you've questioned God. You've wondered all of these things. There's all these unknowns about your life. What will it be like to be a Christian? What will the experience be like? And yet, God would speak to you. Abraham's life raises up and says, you can trust God. Or maybe it's the Christian tonight. We as Christians are constantly discovering that every single day from that moment we committed our lives to Christ is that of a walk of faith. And so it's every single day in our lives that we are learning to be obedient to the call. It it might be a literal move. I understand that there might be some tonight that God is calling you to leave. Literally, it could be the country. God's calling you to go to foreign missions. God's calling you out of the state. God's calling you out of the city. God could be calling you to leave your family, your father's house. And like Abraham... You need to have active faith and obey the call. Or maybe it's just some unknown situation or circumstance like Abraham faced. Maybe it's a job that you're not familiar with. Maybe it's being around a group of people that you're not familiar with. Maybe there's no clear directions like the obstacle that Abraham faced. Not knowing where you're going. Have you ever felt like that as a Christian? Where am I going? Lord, what do you have for me? I have no clue. Someone will come and say, hey, how's things going? What's, what's ahead? I have no idea. But I trust the Lord is with me. I was recently in California, and I never experienced anything like this. Coming home late one night from the Bible college there in California, I was at a worship leaders conference. It was so incredibly foggy, I couldn't see past about 15 feet in front of my car. And so I'm driving about literally five miles. I'm just hardly coasting all the way to my sister's home. She lives there in Marietta. And I remember just thinking, this is unbelievable. How do people live here? How do you drive? How do you get anywhere? I can't see anything. I couldn't see streetlights. I couldn't see anything. I got lost. I had to finally roll down my window. I'm having to pull up the street sign, squinting my eyes. Where am I going? Sometimes maybe you're even here tonight. And that's your, that's your life right now. God, what is going on? So unfamiliar. God, you called me. I've left. I've obeyed. But I have no clarity, no direction. Well, tonight, to trust the Lord, that he has it in control. Corey Ten Boom said this. When the train goes through a tunnel and the world gets dark, do you jump out? Of course not. You sit still and trust the engineer to get you through. And I read a great story of a recently graduated young lady from college. And she was bringing her new fiancé to meet mom and dad. They'd never met this young man. And so the mother, anticipating the night, said, Honey, after dinner, I want you to take this young man into your study, and I want you to give him the quiz of his life. 
find out everything about this man. And so sure enough, dinner ends. They'd come over. Dinner had ended. And so the father took the young man into his study. And the father began to question him. He said, well, son, what are your plans for the future? The young man said, well, I'm in seminary right now, and I I plan to to be a a pastor. And dad thought, hmm, a pastor. Well, how do you suppose you're going to buy my beautiful daughter a big diamond ring for her wedding day? And he said, well, I'm in seminary, I'll study, and I really want to be a pastor, and I'm just praying that God will provide. And the dad said, God will provide? Well, how do you anticipate buying my wife a very beautiful big house like she's accustomed to? And of course, the young man, I don't know. I'm in seminary, I want to be a pastor, and I'm trusting that God's going to provide for me. And the the father's just kind of getting disturbed by all this. And he says, well, what about children? How are you going to provide for children? And the young man, I'm going to seminary, I want to be a pastor, and I'm trusting God will provide. So the night finishes, their conversation ends. It had gone back and forth like that for a while. And the, the children have now left. The mom and dad sit down, and the mom excitingly, so what did he say? Well, it's pretty interesting. He said he has no plans in his life, no job, but he thinks I'm God. (laughs) And really, that is the life of a Christian, like that young man. Lord, I don't know. I'm so after your heart, so in, in pursuit of your will for my life. I'm so in love with you. And there's so many questions that people looking on would say, there's so many unknowns. How, how about this? What about this? And we can declare as Christians, God will provide. When God calls you to jump, you're jumping into the arms of a loving father. And I remember as a young little boy, just a little guy, And this probably happened in your family. My dad in the deep end, I wasn't big enough to get into the deep end. I couldn't swim. And so I remember as a little child, with you guys remember the orange floaties, right? And so I'd be sitting there looking like a goofball. And my dad would always beckon me into the deep end. Come on, son, jump. And I'd always be so scared. I'd start crying and I'd run to my mom. (laughs) Until I discovered a couple years later that I could jump into my dad's arms. And he'd hold me tight. That there was nothing to fear. And Christian, when the Lord calls you, it might be unknown, uncertain, unfamiliar. But you can trust that God is with you. And that's what Abraham speaks to us tonight. But not only did he have faith to go, Abraham had faith to wait. And let's read it here in verse 9. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And so the story continues. We're familiar with it. Abraham did indeed move, go, leave country, father. He entered into the land of Canaan. He made the treacherous journey. He arrived But then verse 9 tells us that by faith, he dwelt in the land. And what that word literally is saying is that he was a stranger, a sojourner. And literally in the Greek, if it's translated, it means that by faith, Abraham lived transiently in the land. 
So it's not just saying that he just showed up and began to live there. It's saying he lived as a nomad. And that's indicated just a few words later by saying he lived and dwelt in tents. So Abraham has arrived to the land. He's now there. He says, God, okay, I'm going to go. I believe, I trust your promises, active obedience of faith. He arrives in the land, but he's never settled. He's living like a nomad. He didn't show up and everyone's excited to give Abraham the land. Oh, God told you, this is your land. Awesome. No, but he showed up and he dwelt with his children. And it says that he waited. He dwelt as a sojourner. He was waiting for the promise of God. He hadn't obtained it yet. In fact, in Genesis chapter 12, when we're told about the move, it tells us that the Canaanites dwelt in the land. And that is to say, it was under their possession. Matthew Henry, the commentator, said this. said, Abraham had no right to the country which he went to receive. He could urge no claim on the ground of discovery or inheritance or conquest. He had no means of obtaining possession. He had no wealth to purchase it, no armies to conquer it, no title to it, which could be enforced before tribunals of the land. The prospect of obtaining it must have been distant. And probably he saw no means by which it was to be done. In such a case, his only hope could be in God. And so Abraham arrives. And you ask, well, how long did he wait? How long did Abraham enter the land before God fulfilled that promise? Well, you'll know if you've studied through the Bible like we're doing on Wednesday. I'd continue to continue to come on Wednesday nights to study through the Bible with Pastor Skip. Because it wasn't until the reigns of David and Solomon that the children of Israel actually took full control of this land. Now, that was circa 1,000 B.C. Abraham has been dated to circa 2,000 B.C. So the promise of the land being fulfilled took over 1,000 years. In fact, look with me at verse 13 of chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, just a few verses down. How long did Abraham wait? Verse 13 These, referring to Abraham and Sarah, these all died in faith. In fact, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. So Abraham died without seeing the promise fulfilled. It wouldn't come for a good thousand years. The promise about the Messiah that would come to bless the world, that third promise, that took at least 2,000 years. So Abraham, it says, he died waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. And you say, Nick, is that really active faith in God's absolute promises? Absolutely. Waiting is active faith. In fact, I believe it's harder. It takes more faith to wait than sometimes to go. And I'm sure many of you would agree with me. G. Campbell Morgan, the great preacher, said this. Waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. But in fact, waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. But waiting for God means first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. And third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. In the reality of our day and age is we hate to wait. At least I do. We live in a world, a generation that says, I can't wait. We say that all the time. It's like kind of one of our phrases. We live in the Snickers generation. Why wait? We don't want to wait for anything in life. It's all fast food today. That's why ramen noodles reign supreme among males in college. 
Nobody wants to wait even for a meal. Before I got married, when my wife first came to my apartment, and she saw in our cupboards nothing but Chef Boyardee. I had the raviolis, the spaghetti, I had some spaghettios, anything that could be cooked within the matter of 30 seconds in a microwave. And we just don't like to wait. I was recently returning from a trip, and I remember calling my wife in the airport because I had just discovered that my flight was delayed. And I remember being so angry because I was going to be 45 minutes late back to Albuquerque. And I remember complaining. I was so miserable sitting in the airport. I hate to wait. And it's something that we're born with. My son is now 10 months old, the cutest little guy in the world. But when he wants something, he does not want to wait. He wants it now. He begins to scream, throw the biggest fit possible until that need is met. And I agree with the poem that says, patience is a virtue Possess it if you can. Seldom found in a woman, never found in a man. (laughs) So tonight, are you waiting for God's promise? Do you find yourself, perhaps God's spoken to you about some certain ministry, some certain role that you're going to play in the church, and you're waiting, Lord, when is it going to come to pass? I know you've called me. I've been obedient. Maybe it's your children. Maybe God has promised to bring your children to salvation or to bring peace in your family, to see your husband, your your spouse come to know Christ. And you're thinking, I've been waiting for so long. Lord, I don't think I can wait any longer. Maybe you're here and you're still single and you feel like you've been waiting for your spouse forever. I tell all the college students that I serve weekly that I think the hardest time in life is before you're married. Just right when you're like liberated, you move out of the fa- your, your parents' house, and that time right before you get married, whether it's three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever it might be, but waiting for your spouse seems like forever. But the reality is that God has a different timetable than us. You know the verse, 2 Peter, jot it down, chapter 3, verse 8. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. How long did Abraham wait? A day. A thousand years. I love it that a pastor one day was greatly distressed. He was pacing around the floor, and a friend of him a friend of his came to him and said, what's, what's troubling you, pastor? What, what is so distressing you? And the pastor looked up and said, the trouble is that I'm in a hurry and God is not. Guys, and I, I pray that you're encouraged like Abraham. He rises up scripture and says, those that wait for the Lord, they will see the promises of God fulfilled. Abraham didn't live to see it, but it did, in fact, come true. Guys, God's promises are true. All of the promises given to Abraham came true. He did have a son. He did have a great nation. The Messiah did come through him. The Jews did possess the land of Canaan. It took time. He waited, but the promises came true. And Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. There's so many men and women that have gone before us that lived a life of faith despite impossible circumstances and obstacles. And yet, in the midst of all of that, God, 100% of the time, fulfilled his word to every individual. 
And so tonight, if you find yourself faltering in faith, maybe you're fatigued tonight, you have to know that God is not asking you to make a promise you can't keep, but to receive a promise that only He can keep. That you can trust the Lord with everything that you possess within yourself. That you can attach your very life to Himself. And you can say, God, I am ready for whatever. If it be wait, if it be go, I'm ready. And that the daily walk of a Christian would be marked by trust and faith. And it might be in 2008 that God will call you to go. And I pray that in your heart, in your mind as a Christian, you'll remember men like Abraham. And you will hold on and trust the Lord. It might be a year of waiting. It might be that you've been waiting four years and this is yet another year of you just to wait actively. I pray that God would give you the strength to wait upon him, to have active faith in God's absolute promises. And it might be that you need to go back to God's word and refresh yourself on the many hundreds of promises contained in scriptures. I found this week on the internet a man named Bob Stevens, the front page of his website, and it's all dealing with the promises of God, he says this, not all the promises are listed on my site, but I will keep trying. My goal is to have every promise of God listed on this page before I go to be with the Lord. What a great pursuit. And let me just read some of them to you. There are hundreds of promises, but maybe for you tonight, you need to hear one of these. Psalm eighty-four, eleven: no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Or Philippians four, nineteen: but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Or Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Or how about Exodus 15, verse 26? I am the Lord that healeth you. Maybe Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through waters, I will be with you. Through rivers, they shall not overflow you. Or how about Psalm 55, that we can cast our burdens on the Lord and he will sustain us. That he will never suffer the righteous to be moved. Or Isaiah 26, you will keep him in perfect peace. Maybe you need peace in your life whose mind is stayed on thee. Or Proverbs chapter 3, the Lord blesses the house of the just. Or Isaiah 54, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. There's so many more. I'll share with you one more. One of my favorite. Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and you will find rest unto your souls. There's so many promises that you and I can be assured of in this life. When it feels foggy, there's so many uncertainties. We feel like giving up, like the recipients of the letter of the book of Hebrews. That we can look to God and say, God, I know your promises. I might not even ever see it in this lifetime, but I can trust. Abraham, it said, he waited for a city, a heavenly city. The Christian waits, not even so much for the earthly promise, but for the ultimate promise that we will receive by faith. And that is spending eternity with our Lord. And I close with the thought, I I love as you continue through the book of Hebrews, one of my favorite chapters, Hebrews chapter 12, where the author, after listing all of these men and women that have gone before us, after having tried to encourage us, listen, Abraham's done it, Noah's done it, Joseph's done it, Sarah, Rahab. 
he finally comes almost to a conclusion. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I place myself back on that cage, on that ledge. And I'll never forget the words of that man. Just look at the arrow over there on the mountain. And so I jumped, not looking down, not thinking of necessarily the, 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 the rope attached to me, but just looking out, looking up at that arrow. And Christian tonight, if Abraham doesn't stir within you faith, if it's not necessarily even the word, the promises, if it's just look to Jesus, because he's begun the work, he'll finish it. He's the author and the finisher. And knowing that my life, when placed into the hands and focused on Jesus himself, that he will take care, that I can trust and rest in him, brings me so much joy and so much strength. And Christian, I pray that you leave tonight with your 2008 year ready ready to achieve the life of faith as a Christian in 2008, ready to tackle any obstacle, any impossibility with eyes on Jesus and trusting him. And if it be take the plunge, take the plunge. Let me tell you, that was exhilarating, being dunked into the Nile River. It was tons of fun. And the life of faith is the most exciting life that a man or woman could possibly live. Lord, we are so thankful for the life of faith that you've called us to. Lord, that you have good plans for us. Lord, the hundreds of promises that you've given us in your word and that we can trust them. We're so thankful to be your children, Lord. And Lord, I pray especially for those gathered here tonight that they indeed would pursue actively a life of faith this year. Lord, there might be tough decisions. Lord, I pray you'd give them the faith. Lord, there might be times of waiting. I pray you'd give them the faith. Lord, we love you so much. And as Abraham was justified by faith, Lord, we seek not by works anything that we could muster or accomplish on our own, but just to rest our lives into your life, Lord, and all that you've accomplished and done for us. In your name we pray. Amen.